These readings come at just the right time. We are just off a two-week summer Sabbath here at Richmond Hill, a break from some of our work and some of our hosting. We continue the prayers and we continue to get ready for this evening and for a new season of hosting, of offering retreats and programs. The new year is upon us. And these texts, I believe, provide us with some important reminders at just the right time. They remind us of things like hope and obedience, trust, sacrifice, and commitment. And in a word, faith, which we hear described in our reading from Hebrews as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's long been a favorite text of mine. I remember in college making a wooden plaque with those words on it and giving them to a friend of mine, a friend who was wrestling with faith himself. He had not been raised in a family that practiced any particular tradition, and he told me when he got to college, he always thought that it would all come together for him. And so he engaged me around my own faith in Christ, And we both learned a lot that year together. He forced me to think about why I believe what I believe. And in our conversations again and again, this text would come up. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now I want to share with you tonight that my understanding of this text has evolved, hopefully, appropriately. from a time when I was about 20 years old until today. I think it's important because these words are often seen as as a simple platitude about belief. But as we look at them more closely, we find that there's more than just what appears on the surface. To say that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of what isn't seen is to make a highly provocative claim that we need to unpack. While the translation that I used and we used this evening and heard earlier from Hebrews 11.1 is familiar to us, it comes from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, it's also highly problematic. Two words in the text in particular are really hard to translate in the context that we hear them in this evening. The author of Hebrews defines faith as the hypostasis, which is a Greek word, the hypostasis of things hoped for, which the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible translates as assurance, which has a very personal or psychological connotation to it. But according to commentator Charles Cusar, whatever hypostasis means, it almost certainly does not refer to an individual's certainty or assurance. He goes on to say that the best translation of hypostasis in 11.1 is a philosophical one. That faith is the reality of things hoped for. By striking contrast with the customary understanding of this verse, in which it asserts the obvious truth that faith involves confidence about things that cannot presently be verified, 
What Hebrews and the author of Hebrews actually asserts is that in faith, the believer already anticipates the final outcome or the reality of what is believed. Let me read that again. In this text, what is asserted is that in faith, the believer already anticipates the final outcome or the reality of what is believed. Uh, Just yesterday or two days ago, I was playing disc golf with one of my sons. And I had a 30-foot putt. And I threw the disc and it went right into the chain. And he stood there dumbfounded because I'm not a very good player, actually. (laughs) But I said to Nathan, I saw that happen before I threw it. I mean, I really, I stepped up and I could see it going in into the the cup before I even let go of it. That is something like, not to oversimplify here, but that's something like what is meant in this text when we talk about faith as the reality before it's even realized. That we are working from a place of already knowing it to be so because we trust that much in God and in what God is doing. Now, Kosar goes on to say that this is not to say that believing makes something true or whatever one actually believes to happen, but that faith itself has a kind of eschatological power. I'll come back to that in a minute. But the verse goes on and affirms that faith is also the elegchos of things not seen. Here again, the translation that we're accustomed to is somewhat misleading. And Kusar goes on to say that elegchos does not mean conviction in the sense of personal internal belief that something is going to happen. Instead, it refers to proof. It refers to proof. Faith is the proof of things not seen. So that what now arises from Hebrews 11.1 is the provocative claim that faith itself moves in the direction of the realization of those things that are presently beyond demonstration. Faith itself moves in the direction of the realization of those things that are presently beyond demonstration. It is dynamic. It's not something simply that we have. Faith is not just something we have, but it's something that we anticipate. It's something that we can already see before it's become fulfilled. And our anticipation of it, our seeing the reality of it, even before it has been completed, somehow draws us into the experience of helping to make it be so. And that, I believe, has strong implications for those of us who sit here tonight as part of the Richmond Hill community, those of us who are called to seek the healing of metropolitan Richmond, that there's something we are anticipating as we pray and work for that healing. We've often talked about what would that look like if it were realized. That's a sermon for another time. But for tonight... What if we were to place our faith in the trust that we already know what it might be like? And so therefore, our efforts are moving in that direction. 
That we already have a sense. That is our faith. We have that sense of what God desires for the world. And in particular, for this community. And we're working towards that. Even though there are occasionally missteps. Sometimes the disc doesn't go in, even though I saw it happening. But it gets me a little closer. So that the next throw is a little easier. We are participating in a faith that is unfolding. Faith is the reality of things hoped for, the proof of what is not yet seen. The writer of Hebrews, as if anticipating that we would have a difficult time with this concept, gives us some examples, okay? The astonishing claim that faith is a reality of what we hope for and the proof of what we don't see begins to make sense in the recital of Hebrews, of Israel's history, rather. And so if you go on in the chapter 11 of Hebrews that Pam read for earlier, you hear all these examples of how God was at work and how things began to unfold. And slowly but surely, we're beginning to move towards something. Even though all those people listed never saw those promises fulfilled in their lifetime. Those witnesses include Abel and Enoch, Noah and Moses, Rahab and Sarah. And they even mention God. And God's creating all of this out of nothing. That one time it was nothing or it was something else not seen. And yet now we have all this tangible stuff that is part of God's creation, and we too are a part of that. These examples provide evidence of how faith evolves. With the advantage now of being able to look back retrospectively, we can see how those who trusted in God before us started with less evidence and less proof than we have today. Our faith is built upon their faith. And tomorrow, someone else's faith will be built upon our faith. Does that make sense? Begins to make some sense? I've been reading uh, David Blight's new biography of Frederick Douglass. Now, it's 700 pages long. I hope someday that I finish it. I have faith. I can imagine. I can almost see that happening. But right now, I'm about a third of the way into the book, and I have been struck by Frederick Douglass's faith. He became a Christian as a teenager, and he was deeply convicted, even though he saw so many Christians behaving poorly in the church, not doing anything to help change the way things were in the world, particularly around the issue of slavery. And yet he remained faithful and consistent and committed to the abolition of slavery throughout his life. And he lived through all kinds of signs that progress was being made and then everything was wiped away. And it was as if nothing had been done and yet he remained true. For 50 years he labored as an orator and a preacher of unprecedented scope working towards the abolition of slavery. And over the course of his life that spanned southern enslavement, he himself was born into slavery. And at 20, he ran and secured his freedom. 
And throughout his life then, he dealt with the Fugitive Slave Act, through the Civil War years, the Emancipation Proclamation, Reconstruction, and Jim Crow. He never lost sight of the vision of freedom and liberty for all. He believed that God created all men and women. He was one of the first feminists, equal. And he never gave up on the belief that that's what God intends. And he gave his life to that cause. He had immense faith. And we stand today on the shoulders of folks like that, like Frederick Douglass. And while there has been much progress made in the direction of, of liberty around race in this country, we know that there is a ton of work still ahead. I don't need to say more about that. Which is why we're here. Because we know there's more to do. And we mustn't lose, lose faith. By participating in faith ourselves and in faithful lives, by praying and working as we do for justice in this city, we are building upon what was evidenced in the lives and times of those before us. Those who in good faith gave themselves to what they believed God wanted most for all of us. People like Frederick Douglass and like Abraham in our text for today. Abraham's faith was tenacious and marked by at least three important characteristics that I want to mention briefly. Obedience, confidence, and a commitment to justice and fairness. Abraham was obedient, which is to say that he was willing to listen carefully for God's voice and that he was willing to respond according to what he heard. Picking up, on, picking up all of his things and moving his entire family late in his life to this place of promise. We here at Richmond Hill place a great deal of importance on discernment. To discern is to listen and to dissect carefully the competing voices that lay claim on our lives. Paring away that which is less than so that we can begin to live in response to the one true voice of love. And it's not an easy task. It's an ongoing work. Day after day, we pick it up again, listening constantly for God's voice here in this place. But we trust that in the process of doing that, that we're able to move ahead, even one step at a time, in a faithful way. Like Abraham, who listened and responded as he felt God intended for him to. Secondly, Abraham was confident he had confidence in God, trusting even in spite of the evidence around him. He trusted that God would bless him and Sarah with offspring that would be a blessing to countless generations to come, even though he and his wife were far beyond childbearing years. But in his lifetime, he didn't see the fulfillment of those things. Instead, he was forced to live in an unsettled, live an unsettled life in a tent on the land that he had been promised, which was a far cry from the city that he had been told to expect. Still, he was faithful. He trusted in the reality of something not yet realized in his own lifetime. Third, he was committed to justice and fairness. 
something demonstrated in his willingness to offer his nephew Lot the choice of land on which to settle. He knew that God's hand was at work in his own life to bring healing and prosperity to others too. He knew that God's blessing would be provided from generation to generation. And so he was faithful, obedient to God's voice, confident in God's provision, and steadfast in his commitment to seek justice and to do his part to ensure that the promised land was fairly divided. The image of the city provides a vision, or provided a vision, I should say, for Abraham, as it does throughout Scripture, of the fulfillment of God's plans. The city of the living God, God's heavenly Jerusalem, something that is yet to be realized. And while it carries an eschatological quality that it's out there somewhere that we're moving toward, it's also an apt image for us today, particularly those of us who live in a city and are working for what we hope God will help bring about right here at our doorstep. God clearly loves the city and invites us into a ministry that continues to address its needs and to help build up its foundation. So as we stand now on the precipice of the beginning of another program year, it does us well to remember those who have gone before us and the faith that they had. And in so remembering to recommit ourselves to work and prayer for the fulfillment of God's plan right here in the city. As we do so, we are all ancestors in the making too. Someday, God willing, someone will stand here and remember us in our faithfulness and our commitment, even though we might not see it all fully realized. But there were those before us who trusted enough to do what they could do and to be involved in ways that they could be involved in what God was up to. The models of faith who have preceded us experienced only the partial realization of what they were seeking in God's name. We're invited to continue what they started, to devote ourselves to prayer and work after their example, because we too have a part to play in the unfolding of the reality that faith imagines. God desires our faithfulness, faithfulness like Abraham, faithfulness like Frederick, obedient, confident, just. So let us not lose heart, but rather keep the faith. Amen.